Father, this morning we rejoice to be in your house. We rejoice to be in your presence. We rejoice that the promises of God still stand true. They ring in our hearts. The promise of the Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord, this morning. We need a transformation. We need not just information. And Father, we pray today that as that information from Scripture penetrates our hearts, as it cuts through our hearts like hot knife through butter, as we understand, Lord, the purpose for which you've created us, that we would yield to your influence on our lives, we would yield to your control, to your desire for us, and we ask your blessing to be with us just now. And we come in Christ's name, let the people say, Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah chapter 58, and this is a verse that we talked about a little bit yesterday, but we didn't really look at, and I want to just see that this morning, Isaiah chapter 58, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 58 regarding Sabbath keeping, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13, it's a verse that you know so very well. By the way, I would say this. Have the seminar, have, have, my, have the meetings this week been practical, yes or no? The truth is that you probably haven't really learned anything new. It's just something that you have not heard in a while, you understand? Something that needs to be reinforced. And that's what I felt God convicting me to speak on this week. Sabbath keeping, uh, all the subjects that we've talked about this week, righteousness by faith, things that we need to have ever before us, amen? And uh, so that's why I chose those subjects. So very, been very simple, very straightforward, but very truthful, impactful, I pray for you. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, the Bible says, if you turn away your foot from what? The Sabbath. From doing whose pleasure? Your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own what? Pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has what? Spoken. Now, dear friends, what I hope you didn't leave with yesterday was, in your heart was, was thinking to yourself, man, this is just a bunch, a list of do's and what? Don'ts, right? It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It is delighting ourselves in the Lord. It is recognizing that our ways are not His ways. His ways are so much better. And people say, well, that sounds really restrictive. But the reality is this. Do you think the Lord is going to give us anything that's not going to set us free? What do you say? He's not going to do that, is He? And so everything that He asks us to do is for our good. And if we will try it His way, try it whose way? His way and lay our ways aside. He says, I have such a rich blessing for you that you can't even imagine. How many of you say, praise the Lord? And so friends, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about submitting ourselves to the authority and the leadership of Christ. Amen? And taking delight in Him. All of heaven operates this way, and it's a peaceful, happy, joyful place. Amen? God wants us to have joyful Sabbaths. He wants us to delight in Him. And when we make the choice, when we make the decision, and when we make the adjustment in our lives to adjust to His ways and do it the way He's asked us to, we will indeed find great delight. What do you suppose this morning? But if our hearts are unconverted, if we're seeking to keep control of ourselves, if there's something that we're hanging on to that we love more than we love God's ways, then the Sabbath is going to be a drudgery to us. And it's going to become legalistic for us. But if we work, if we allow the Spirit to transform our hearts, then we're not just keeping the letter of the law, but we're keeping it in the Spirit. Amen? And there's great joy. How many can say amen this morning? How many want to do things God's way and in His delight? Yes? Praise the Lord this morning. So I want to read to you from the church manual very quickly. Actually, I'm not going to because I didn't mark the page and I didn't take the time to do it. But it's on Sabbath keeping. And it talks about that the Sabbath is a gift to humanity. That God desires to have that day as a personal uh, 
opportunity to draw close to each other more than any other day of the week. How many can say amen? And the church manual is a beautiful resource for the Sabbath, the keeping, and, and many other things. I want to encourage you to read it this morning. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the two witnesses of the two witnesses. And um, this is a very interesting thing uh, because how, how many of you know what the two witnesses are? Everybody knows about the two witnesses, don't they? The two witnesses of Revelation. And there's all kinds of ideas out there in, uh, in the world today about what the two witnesses are. Some people say it's Moses and Elijah that are, that are coming down out of heaven and they're going to appear on the earth and preach for three days and all these things. We find the two witnesses in the book of Revelation chapter 11. But who exactly are the two witnesses? Who are they? They are the Word of God, right? According to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, you can write that down and look it up later. The two witnesses are the two lampstands which stands before the God of the whole earth. And they are the Old and the New Testament, the Word of God, the Bible, the Old and the New Testaments. And that's very clear from Scripture, yes or no? And so, what are, but we asked the question this morning, what are the two witnesses of the two witnesses? That's something that you don't know, right? And it's not exactly in the Bible, but it's, it, it is there if you think about it. So here are the two witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who testifies of something else, right? That's what a witness is. If I'm a witness for God, then I'm going to witness or testify about who? I'm going to speak on His behalf, yes? So the, the, the two witnesses, being the Old New Testament, they speak on the behalf of who? Of God. Is that true about the two witnesses, the, the Old New Testament? Do they speak on behalf of God? Yes. Well, there are two witnesses that actually speak about the two witnesses. So here's the question I'll ask you this morning. What are the two great corporate and sacred assemblies in the Adventist church outside of the divine worship hour that open God's Word, the two witnesses, and provide opportunities to study it and understand it better. What two gatherings that are age-old in the church testify of God's Word and speak of it? There are the two witnesses of the two witnesses. Sabbath school and, somebody else said it, prayer meeting. How many of you would agree with that this morning? The two witnesses of the two witnesses, yes? And we're going to talk about that today. Sabbath school and prayer meeting are the two witnesses of the two witnesses. So we're going to start with Sabbath school. By the way, I want to make a, tell you a quick story that kind of ties with what we were just talking about, what we're about to talk about. I remember preaching in a church one time, and I was preaching on stewardship of time. And I was talking about how it's important that we, we pay a faithful tithe, how we keep the Sabbath day holy, but that's not all that God requires of us. God requires how much else? Everything, right? God requires everything of all of us. How many of you agree with that today? Yes? God requires everything of all of us. And after the sermon, this man came up to me, and he was very sincerely and earnestly troubled. He says, you mean to tell... He says, I've been in the Adventist church for 40 years. He says, you mean to tell me that once I pay my tithe, I return my tithe and my offering, he said that, that I'm not able to spend the rest of it on whatever I want? He says, if I want to go buy this, I could go buy this. And he said, and you mean to tell me that God requires more of my time than just giving myself to Him on the Sabbath day? I said, it was a revelation to this brother who had been in the Adventist church all of his life. And I said, brother, absolutely. God requires that we give an account for all the funds that we've given to Him. And the funds that we don't return for tithe and offering, the 90%, 80%, whatever it is that's left over, we are called to use that money to glorify Him as well. We are called to give of ourselves at any time to God, not just on the Sabbath. He was dumbfounded. And many of us today live like this. We live like Christians who are Sabbath-keeping Christians, and we are, instead of Seventh-day Adventists, we are Seven-day Adventists. Or we are, I'm sorry, instead of Seven-day Adventists, we're literally only Seventh-day Adventists. We're only... Christians on the seventh day of the week. Are you with me? And the rest of the week we do whatever we please. But God would have us to understand that He has an account upon our lives the whole time. 
Monday through Friday, Sabbath and Sunday, every day of the week, every moment of the day, God needs to be number one priority of our lives. What do you say this morning? So let's talk about Sabbath school today. I want to give you some very interesting history about Sabbath school. I was working on this last night. I actually added this section yesterday to my presentation, and I found it fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I want you to see some, some little facts and figures here this morning. The first regular Sabbath school was organized by, in 1853 by James White in Rochester, Maine. You see, Sabbath school wasn't something that just automatically happened. It began to be developed, it began to be organized, and there were some places that had it and some places that didn't. And in the beginning, the Sabbath schools were very much kind of on their own. They didn't really have at the General Conference a very formalized plan for Sabbath school. So all the teachers would gather together and they would come up with their own curriculum, their own routine, their own program, the way of doing things. And it was very interesting because Sabbath school was actually a school. Like you had to like sign up and register and become a member of the Sabbath school. You didn't just show up and go in and sit in the pew, you see. But it was a program. It was a, it was a process. It was actually a literal school on the Sabbath that studied the Bible. How many can say amen? Now notice this. In 1887, the first official general Sabbath school mission offering of $10,615 was raised for the African Mission Station. In 1889, the first senior Sabbath school lesson quarterly was printed, and our little friend began publication in 1890 with separate lessons for kindergarten and primary children. Isn't that fascinating? Now watch this. In 1901, nearly 50 years after the first Sabbath school lessons were printed, there were 2,675 Sabbath schools, almost 60,000 members, who gave 21,000, almost $22,000 for mission. How many of you can say amen? So it was very, very powerful. In 1952, the 100th anniversary of James White's first Sabbath school lessons, there were almost 18,000 Sabbath schools with over 1 million members who gave approximately $5 million to missions. How many could say amen? Now, how many of you would like to have $5 million for your local church? Amen? But these people sacrificed that. And what was, what are you seeing here, was a very driving force in the Sabbath school department. What was it? It was missions. Amen? It was missions. It was foreign missions. People were excited because they got to come to Sabbath school, an actual school, to study and memorize the Bible and hear about, learn about, and then support mission work all around the globe. It doesn't get more exciting than global mission work. Amen? It's always a very exciting thing for the littlest to the oldest. Now notice this. I continued... Uh, statements, various statements about the history of Sabbath school. In 1885, the Sabbath schools made their first gifts to missions. According to the Seventh-day, the first official gifts to missions, according to the Seventh-day Adventist Encyclopedia, the first quarter of that year in Oakland, California, Sabbath school gave all of its income to aid the establishment of the Australian mission. Also in 1885, the first conference-wide practice of giving all the Sabbath school donations to missions was adopted by the Upper Columbia Conference. These people were excited about mission, amen? They were so thrilled about supporting the mission and their local Sabbath school. Now watch this. The next year, Sabbath schools in California raised $700 above their expenses in one quarter for the Australian mission. Several state Sabbath school associations proposed sending part of their offerings to help establish it. This was the beginning of an ever-increasing stream of financial support that has flowed from the Sabbath schools to the world fields. So listen, it wasn't that they would get up on Sabbath morning during the church service and say, hey, we need to give some money to foreign missions. They actually had a whole program that they did in Sabbath school. And today, we have very much of a remnant of that, don't we? I mean, people pass around the envelope and everybody's like, what is this for? 
Why are we taking up another offering? We already take one up at church. People might put 50 cents in there. They might put a dollar in there. And then, and then comes the second envelope. People are like, what's the second envelope for? Well, the first one's for Sabbath school expense. And then the second one's for world mission. And nobody talks about it. Nobody knows what it's all about. But it just gets passed around. And then it ends up at the end of the pew. How is it? Full or empty? Typically empty. Isn't that right? Now watch this. This is very exciting as well. When Adventist missionary John Tay returned in 1897 to the U.S. with the story of the island of Pitcairn and the, other, and the acceptance of its inhabitants of the Second Adventist Message, the General Conference resolved to finance the building of a missionary ship for the islands of the South Pacific Ocean. The project lapsed, however, till in 1889, the international who? Now, I want to make a point here that the Sabbath school took up a work that the general conference could not get going. Don't miss that point. It's not always about doing it from the top, amen? It's about doing it from the bottom. The Sabbath school department said, if the general conference is not able to sustain this thing, we ourselves are going to pick it up and carry it and move it along. How many can say amen? So some people say, well, let the conference deal with that, or let the general conference deal with that. No, 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 no. God has called the local people to rise up and support the work. Amen? How many can say amen to that? Now let's continue with this statement here. It says the project lapsed until the Sabbath school took up the challenge. In about a year's time, Sabbath schools in North America raised almost the entire $19,000 for the Pitcairn ship, the equivalent of about half a million dollars in today's economy. What do you say? That's my church, amen? That's my church. Now watch this. And this even more remarkable, considering that there were at that time only 30,000 Sabbath school members. By the most recent statistical report, there are, today there are more than 18 million worldwide. Isn't that interesting? Every church has a Sabbath school now. But think about this. Those people rose up to the challenge and said, we need to support this work. We need to support this mission work. And that's what they did. Here tells the rest of the tale about the pit car. And it set sail out of San Francisco in October of 1890 and made six major voyages around the Pacific, assisting in the opening of missions in the Society Islands, now known as French Polynesia, Cook, Tonga, Lord Howe, Norfolk, Samoa, and Fiji Islands. It served the church for 10 years in this way, by until the turn of the century, it had become more economical to deploy missionaries and materials by way of commercial steamships. The Pitcairn was sold in 1900. I want to say this morning, that's my church. Amen? People rallying, people sacrificing, people pouring out not just their hearts, but their pockets so that other people can receive and hear the gospel. Amen? Building a ship that could sail around from island to island telling the people about Christ and delivering humanitarian aid to them. Isn't that a marvelous idea, friends? That Sabbath schools actually took on projects for specific projects for mission work that the General Conference could not handle. Praise be to God. I don't know about you, but I just get excited about that. I just get excited about that. Now, I want to show you this. This is a very interesting statistic. I pulled this from the 2016 Annual Statistic Report for the General Conference. In 1920, you, you see what we have here. You have the Sabbath school attendance. Then you have the Sabbath school mission offering, how many dollars they raised. And then which, what percentage of the total tithe that would have been. Now, now, it's not included in the tithe, but it said... So it's 20% of whatever the tithe was that year. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? And then the dollar per member that was given, okay? So in 1920, you had 195,000 uh, members. They raised about $1.5 million, which was about 20% of the tithe, which comes out to about $7 per member. That's a lot of money in 1920, you understand? A lot of money. Now watch this. In 1930... It went down just a little bit. The number of Sabbath school people it, it increased. The offering increased. The percentage of tithe increased, but the number per member went down. Why do you suppose it probably went down? Because of the Depression, right? Now you keep going. Watch this. You look at 1940. You have the, uh, about 600,000 Sabbath school members. Sabbath school mission offering was 1.7 million, about 21% of the tithe, and about 2.85 million or dollars per member. I'm not sure why it went so down. Maybe because they had such an increase in Sabbath school attendance. 
but you also had World War II going on. So maybe many of the men were fight, uh, in the, serving in the war. I don't know. Then you go to 1950, you have about a million attending, about f- almost five million in money uh, offerings, percent of tithes 17%, and about $5 per member. Now, notice this. This is from 1920 through 1950. What happened after 1940s? What ended? What has then ended? World War II. And after World War II, what began to happen to the people of America? They began to get what? Comfortable, rich, and lazy. Yes or no? I mean, not for a while they weren't lazy, but we're, we have a, live in a lazy society today. Now watch this. And the last, it, that percentage of the tithe keeps going down from 1950 afterward, okay? Now watch this. Let's put it back up there. Then you go to 2012, and yes, we have 5 million members. Yes, we raised 73 million, $14 per member, but money is worth more than it was then. Are you understanding? But the percentage of tithe, look how much it dropped. So technically, if you look at it on paper, yes, we're giving more, but in the reality, we're giving much, much less to the Sabbath school. Does that make sense? Now watch this. 2013, it goes down even more. It goes down to 2.95%. And then 2014, 2.91%. So we're actually going down, down, down. Isn't that interesting? The dollars are higher, but they're not worth as much, but the actual percentage of giving is going way down, almost 20 to 25%. Now that's very unfortunate, because what are these monies going for? They're going to mission work, okay? Now watch this. One key purpose and drive for the early Sabbath school was supporting foreign missions. We've talked about that. The other was supporting local what? Soul winning. Now, Notice what is written here uh, about Mrs. White. She says, the object of Sabbath school work, Mrs. White wrote, should be the ingathering of what? Souls. Her counsel was that this effort should express itself in inward and outward service and witness. The term soul winning agency appears frequently in her writings as a way of describing the proper goals for Sabbath school. She encouraged the training here of Christian workers for outreach, pointing to the scriptural promises of strength and wisdom, she counseled tenderness and respect as Sabbath school efforts focus on the development of such witnessing programs as home visitation and children's ministry. So Sabbath school used to not be an internal thing for a handful of members, did it? It actually used to be an evangelistic tool, an evangelistic thrust, and people were baptized from the Sabbath school programs. Are you with me? Now here's the evidence of this. This will blow your mind. That they actually would send out magazine ads into local newspapers advertising free Bible classes in the church. And you could come and learn more about the sanctuary. Here's one of the ads. You can come and learn about the sanctuary. You can love and learn about Daniel and Revelation. And they would actually advertise their Sabbath school to the community. Isn't that mind-blowing? It's crazy. Now watch this. This will blow your mind even more. In 1920, there was a hunt. We saw this earlier. There was 195,000 people attending Sabbath school. But guess what, friends? There were only 185,000 members in the global church then. What does that mean? There were actually more people attending Sabbath school than there were church members. Now, is that the case today? What do you think? No! It's the exact opposite. In fact, it's very pitiful as I'm about to show you. So you look at 1920 and they had 105% attendance at Sabbath school versus their membership. That's crazy! How many of you think so? That's greater than one to one. Now watch this. 1930 had 300, almost 400,000 in attendance, 314. So they had 121% of membership attending. 1940, you had 122%. 1950, 125%. So this thing kept growing. It kept what? It kept growing. Now from about 1950, what, once again, what, which event ended? It kind of starts declining until you get to now, 
2012, we have 29% roughly of our membership attending Sabbath school. That is crazy. Like one in three members on a good Sabbath probably is attending Sabbath school. Then you have, it bumped up just a little bit, probably because of fluke of the numbers in 2013 to 34%, and then 34% again in 2014. But you can imagine, friends, that we have gone way, way, way down in our Sabbath school attendance and our thrust for both foreign missions and local soul winning. Yes or no? I mean, how many visitors in most cases do you actually have that are attending Sabbath school? Very few. You have the new believer Sabbath school class, and every once in a while, some visitor might wander in. But it is not an initiative of the church. It's not a drive of the church to be going out seeking to bring people to Sabbath school to teach them about the Bible. Amen? It was kind of like an evangelistic series on every Sabbath morning. What do you say? There's the numbers right there. One to three members are attending Sabbath school. Very, very sad. Now, notice this. Another central feature of early Sabbath schools was the memorization of Scripture. One little girl, writes Mr. Spaulding, who wrote the book, was reported to have memorized 892 verses in six months, an average of 34 verses a week, and another triumph was the memorizing of 7,500 verses by a Sabbath school of 38 members. What do you say this morning? We have a hard time even thinking about the Scripture memory, the one verse that's the theme of the week, don't we? But these people were serious. They were memorizing not even dozens, but thousands of Scripture passages per year. Mind-blowing. Sabbath school was like no joke. Like most of us would be drowning in the Sabbath school program today. We wouldn't be able to keep up. It was like serious, serious business. Would you agree with that this morning? Craziness. So the shocking conclusion is this. At one time... Everyone went to Sabbath school. Every church member went to Sabbath school. What a novel idea. What an amazing thought that every member would go to Sabbath school. It was the common practice and part of the divine worship experience. Sabbath school was used for evangelism as more people attended Sabbath school than we had church membership. Members used to give a much higher percentage of mission offerings in Sabbath school the Word was deeply studied, memorized, and actually shared with non-believers. This was the Sabbath school program of the early Advent church. How many of you think we ought to revive that kind of a thing? What happened? World War II happened, and Laodicea happened, and we got very, very lazy. What do you think? And people just began to quit going. They began to say, oh, well, the, I, I'm not getting anything out of the class. I'm, I'm getting bored, etc., etc." Well, let me just say this. I want to propose to you that Sabbath school can be revived. Sabbath school can be focused once again on foreign missions and local soul winning. Sabbath school once again can deeply study, memorize, and share the Word of God. Sabbath school once again can be relevant for our lives if you, the lay people, would be willing to revive it. Are you with me? It's not going to be the conference that's going to come down and revive it for you. It's not going to be some new program from the NAD or the General Conference that's going to revive it. It's going to be the desire of the local people to awaken to the importance of it, to awaken to the importance of foreign missions and local soul winning and studying God's Word in verity. What do you think this morning? So how, what are some relevant questions? Why should I personally attend Sabbath school? What blessing will I get more than extra sleep? How does it help me personally? And how does it help others in the church? How's it going to benefit my family? We're going to answer those questions in the next few minutes. Are you ready? Are you sure? Are you, are you excited yet? Man, I'm just like excited about this. Sabbath school has five main purposes. How many? Five. Number one, spiritual growth, nurture, and discipleship of old and new members. How many of you think, how many of you in your churches say we need more discipleship in our church? That's what Sabbath school was intended for. And the reason most people feel undiscipled is because they have not taken hold of the Sabbath school class. That simple. How many of you think you need more nurturing in your, in your churches? Yes? Yes. Interactive. Number two, interactive, personal, and deep Bible study that disciples members. How many of you appreciate deep Bible study this morning? Interaction. Yes? 
small group fellowship that nurtures personal relationships. How many of you find that to be a very contemporary need in society? People are always saying, well, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel plugged in. I don't feel like anyone cares about me when I go to church. Well, it's probably because you sit in a corner and you hovel to yourself and you go like this and you're not looking at anyone, you're not talking to anyone. Perhaps the person you're looking to to make you feel needed and wanted is also looking to you to make them feel needed and wanted. Are you with me? But we are so self-focused, we are so self-absorbed that all we think about is ourselves. Maybe that person you keep looking to to talk to you and, and, and to say something to you as a member, as a person who's coming to church for the first time in their life, they have no idea what they're doing. You understand? So we have no clue uh, of what's going on in other people's lives. And if we're looking to meet the, for someone to meet my needs continually, then we're in big trouble. We need to go look for to meet others' needs. Amen? And that's what solves our problems of self-pity. Number four, opportunity for local outreach and soul winning. Sabbath school, as we saw in the history of the Sabbath school class, Sabbath school is a place where we do local soul winning. It is intended, it was designed to be an evangelistic tool that accomplishes also nurturing for the members, but to also bring in new members. Some, kind of like an evangelistic series, Sabbath after Sabbath. And fifthly, the fifth purpose of Sabbath school is that we can participate in and support world missions. How many think world missions are important? We have mission spotlight in our churches many times. Very, very important to support the world mission as we saw before. Supporting the world mission helps us recognize that we are part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. Now we need that world mission understanding. We need that world mission support because it calls us to, to dig deep into our pockets to support the work in places where they have not heard of the gospel. And so the five purposes of Sabbath school are very important for us and many of the needs that we feel ourselves to be lacking today can be met through Sabbath school if it is done correctly. I almost fell out of my seat the first time I read this statement from the Elder's Handbook. Very, very powerful statement here. It says in the Elder's Handbook, page 100, the Sabbath school program is the discipleship heart of the local church. It's the what? It's the discipleship heart of the local church. It's the very core. The local church and the Adventist uh, church, world church is one of the most powerful entities. And it is where every level of ministry takes place. And at the core of the local church, which is the heartbeat of the, church, of the world church, is the Sabbath school program. It is the discipleship heart, it says. Its aim is to win and train people of all ages as disciples of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath school class in which members are taught Adventist beliefs is the church's primary program to nurture members. It reinforces new believers in the church and strengthens fellowship in established members. So once again, all these things that I hear people talking about that they have a lack of, oftentimes it's because they are not attending the Sabbath school or sometimes the Sabbath school may not be done correctly. Now what is the biblical model for Sabbath school? Well, you can write these verses down. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, chapter 6, 5 through 9, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 43, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. These are all texts that really support this concept of Sabbath school. But we're going to look at one in particular. So I invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a New Testament book of Acts model for Sabbath school, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. We'll start in verse 40 here. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. How many of you can say amen? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided among them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness 
and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So beautiful things were happening here in the book of Acts. The people were studying on a regular basis. They were together. They were being nurtured. They were caring for one another. They were encouraging one another. Beautiful things were happening, friends, in the book of Acts, very similar to what we find in our Sabbath school program and our Sabbath school classes. It's evangelism was taking place, nurturing, praying together, studying the Bible together, sharing with others, all kinds of things that are exactly the same as the five purposes for the Sabbath school class today. How many of you think Sabbath school is quite important? Let me see your hands this morning. Amen. Now, we go on here. The question is asked, what divine influence will Sabbath school have on my own life personally? That's a fair question to ask, wouldn't you say? Councils on Sabbath School Work, page 10, says this. The Sabbath school is an important branch of the missionary work, not only because it gives to young and old a knowledge of God's Word, but because it awakens in them a love for sacred truths and a desire to study them for themselves. Above all, it teaches them to regulate their lives by its holy teachings. So notice this, friends. It does several things. It gives to us a knowledge of the work of God. It also helps us to develop missionaries. It awakens in us a love for sacred truth and a desire. How many of you sense in your life that you need all those things? But also notice this. It says that it regulates us to live our lives by those teachings. So not only does it provide a knowledge and a love for God's Word, but it also provides an accountability to live our lives according to the truth which God has revealed to us in His Word. How many of you think that's beautiful? How many of you think that's essential? It's very, very powerful. Now notice this. Next question. How does my individual personal attendance to Sabbath school strengthen the church? Did you know that your own personal attendance at Sabbath school, your own personal attendance at church, strengthens the church? You know, many times we say, well, I'm not sure if the church really needs me. I'm not even sure if the church will notice if I'm gone. Brothers and sisters, the church needs each and every one of us. How many of you agree with that this morning? We are all members. We are all part of the body. The church needs each and every one of us. But dear friends, you must understand a very important principle that the church, although the church needs you, you also need the church. How many of you can say amen? Each one of us also need the church, and we need the church to be a central part of our lives. So notice this, friends. It says there are sacred responsibilities. Sabbath School Council, page 11 there are sacred responsibilities entrusted to Sabbath school workers. And the Sabbath school should be the place where, through a living connection with God, men and women, youth and children, may be so fitted up that they should be a strength and a blessing to the church. They should help the church upward and onward, and as far as it lies in their ability, going from strength to greater strength. How many of you can say amen this morning? So friends, the Sabbath school class, the Sabbath school program actually fits and shapes and molds our lives that we may be a blessing to the church in a greater sense. There's something called the ministry of attendance, that it matters when we're there. It matters not just for the church, but it also matters for us. Never doubt in your life if it matters or not whether you're in the church. Because it does, friends. It makes a difference every single time. Well, we ask the question now, what role does the Sabbath school play in evangelism and leading lost souls to Christ? I think this is a beautiful statement from the same book, Councils on Sabbath School Work, page 115. Notice what it says. The Sabbath school, if rightly conducted, if how? If rightly conducted, is one of God's great instrumentalities to bring souls to a knowledge of the truth. Now, we looked earlier this morning about the history of Sabbath school, and we saw 
that in the olden days, in the early church, the, uh, the Sabbath school was used as a missionary outreach focus. And that's exactly what it was designed for, to lead souls to a knowledge of the truth. Now, we are very far away from that now, but I want to tell you today that it's going to be up to you and I. We can revive this Sabbath school work, can't we? We can revive the Sabbath school work. We can put that mission focus back into it, but it's going to be you and I that take the lead in that. It's not going to be the conference or the general conference that's going to come and help you. It's going to be up to the individual lay people to decide for themselves we're going to take this back, we're going to allow God to use us, and we're going to bring it back to what He intended it to be, to be a soul-winning, member-nurturing uh, encouragement and a program that leads souls to the living Savior. What do you say this morning? Amen. How about parents and children? What should parents value taking their children to Sabbath school? Notice this, page, same book, page 52-53. The Sabbath school affords precious opportunities and privileges for the young. Parents should highly prize these advantages and show their children that they appreciate them. If they manifest no decided interest in the school themselves, they cannot expect their children to do so. In the Sabbath school, parents may be learners as well as the children. Both parents and children should seek to have a knowledge of the Scripture. Other books should be secondary. They should be what? They should be secondary to the Word of God. That means, dear friends, any other books, whether they be mission stories, whether they be other stories that are nice and healthy stories, whether they be math books, whether they be science books, whatever those books are, are always called to be what? They're called to be secondary, she said, to the Word of God, the Scripture, the Bible. And so, friends, we have to make those books uh, secondary. That doesn't mean they're not important. That doesn't mean we can't use them. They're not. Doesn't mean they're not a blessing. But they are to be secondary to the Scripture. And our young people must have the Word of God tucked away in their hearts. What do you think this morning? I believe that God is trying to speak to us very clearly through this. Now, notice this. How should parents value again taking their children to Sabbath school? It continues. Even greater care should be taken by the parents to see that their children have their Sabbath school lessons, than it is to see that their daily school lessons are prepared. Notice this. She says that it's more important for them to do their Sabbath school lesson than it is even to do their homework from school at the end of the day. Their Sabbath school lessons should be learned more perfectly than their lessons in the common schools. If parents and children see no necessity for this interest, then the children might better remain at home. For the Sabbath school will fail to prove a blessing to them. Parents and children should work in harmony with the superintendent and teachers, thus giving evidence that they appreciate the labor put forth for them. Parents should take special interest in the religious education of their children that they may have a more thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. That, to me, is very, very powerful, friends. It's more important that they do their Sabbath school lesson than even their other homework. Doesn't mean that it's not important. Doesn't mean that it's not what we should be doing. But the Sabbath school, the Word of God must come first place in the heart, first place in the mind, and first place in the homes of our children. What do you say this morning? Amen? Then they will have a more thorough knowledge. We should also appreciate the teachers, it says. I'm very thankful for the teachers that work very hard in, the, in preparing the lessons for your kids. Nothing more discouraging to a teacher than to come to class and find that there's no one there after they prepared for hours all week. Bring your children to Sabbath school, amen? Bring them on time. Allow them to be diligent in being there. Make it fun. Make it exciting for them. And make it uh, a, a priority in your homes this morning. You know, in Europe, it's very interesting, I found, that they don't actually call it Sabbath school there. They actually call it Divine Worship Part 1 and Divine Worship Part 2. I found this very interesting. They don't separate Sabbath school from divine worship. Both are blended together. Both are infused together. And they actually have a much higher percentage of people that attend Sabbath school than here. Somehow here in America, we've made the, the Sabbath school something that's just kind of the tail end of the thing. It's kind of just hanging off the edge. It's not really all that important. It's not really all that big of a deal. You just kind of make it if you feel like it. 
But friends, today God is calling us to be faithful, amen? He's calling us to be faithful to this thing called Sabbath school that he has invited us to be a part of, that he has designed for us. Now I had a church member write a testimony that I'd like to share with you about Sabbath school. It's a beautiful testimony, and she couldn't be here, so she wanted me to read it. But notice what this says. This is from my a lady uh, down in the Lansing Church. She says, Sabbath school is a part of church. I always went to Sabbath school as a child and as an adult. I love Sabbath school. You get to know the people much more than, than just when they're sitting in the pew. You get different perspectives on the lesson. The Holy Spirit gives different people different experiences in the truth. I at times get nothing from a text, but I sit, when I sit and listen, I become in awe in what others have gotten out of it. We laugh together. We cry together. We share prayer requests and praises to lift each other up. We pray for each other throughout the week. Sabbath school is like a family. I think Sabbath school is what kept me in the church all these years. How many of you can say amen this morning? We need to be at Sabbath school. Now, what reasons do some people give for not attending Sabbath school? Sometimes people say, oh, well, I just like to sleep in, or, or we really don't think it's that important, or we really don't think it's that big of a deal. And friends, all of those excuses are not before the God of heaven. Now I say that in love, but God is not going to excuse us when the Sabbath day is called to be given to Him and not for our own pleasure. God has called us into His service on the Sabbath day, and part of our worship experience Part of the whole divine worship day is not just going to the worship service, but it's also going to Sabbath school. It's part of the whole experience. Divine worship part one and part two. Amen? Notice this statement from the book Councils on Sabbath School, page 19. She says, Parents plead trifling excuses for not interesting themselves in the lessons with their children, and they fail to become convinced uh, conversant with the scriptures. Fathers as well as mothers excuse themselves from discipling their own minds, or discipline, I'm sorry. They do not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but exalt the temporal above the spiritual and eternal. This forgetfulness of God and neglect of his word is the example they give to their children, which molds in their minds after the worldly standard and not after the exalted standard erected by Christ. How much more profitable to be faithful disciples of Christ engaged in searching the scriptures that they may be thoroughly furnished in all good works. When and where can this be better obtained than where, friends? Than in the Sabbath school. The Sabbath school is designed to mold the minds of young people, of old people, after the standard of Christ today. And friends, how be it that we are often missing that out when we are sleeping in the beds. Now let's talk about sleeping this morning. It says, it is a sad failing with many that they are always behind time in Sabbath morning. They are very particular about their own time that they cannot afford to lose an hour of that. But the Lord's time, the only day out of the seven that the Lord claims as his and requires us to devote to him, quite a portion of this is squandered away by sleeping late in the morning. In this they are robbing God. It is, causes them to be behind in everything. It makes confusion in the family and finally results in the tardiness of the entire family at Sabbath school and perhaps even at meetings. She's talking about the divine hour. So friends, so many people today are sleeping in. They say, oh, we've had a hard week. And they are not taking God at his word that he will bless them if they get themselves up in the morning and they go to the Sabbath school class. And friends, it creams confusion to the family, when the children see that the parents have no interest or no importance of the Sabbath school, are they going to see an importance of it for themselves? Yes or no? They're not going to see an importance for themselves. Let's take God at his word. What's the solution for the reasons to not attend Sabbath school? Notice this. Now why can we not rise early with the birds and offer praise and thanksgiving to God? Try it, brothers and sisters. 
Have your preparations all made the day before and come promptly to the Sabbath school in the meeting and you will thereby not only benefit others, but you will reach, reap rich blessings for yourselves. How many of you want the blessing that God has designed for you through the Sabbath school lesson? How many of you want that today? Do you want it badly enough to make the adjustment in your life? Do you want it badly enough to change things if you're not being faithful today? Do you want it badly enough that you would take your commitment with Christ even deeper than it has been before? Do you want that this morning? Do you want it badly enough? God has promised to give it to us if we're willing to repent and turn away to that which is right and true. Amen? He is merciful. He is just. He is kind. He is compassionate this morning. God understands that you've had a long week. God understands that you're struggling. God understands that you're tired. But dear friends, he wants to bless you. But we must fall under the conditions of the promise before he can give us the blessing. Amen? How many want that blessing today? Praise be the Lord. Once again, we're going to review quickly the benefits of Sabbath school. It strengthens my love for God and his word. It disciples me in the truth and builds my character. It equips me to be a local missionary and a soul winner. It gives me an opportunity to be a part of the global mission work. It provides me with small group fellowship and an opportunity for personal relationships. It strengthens the local church, and it is of eternal value and blessing to yourself, to your children, and to the church of God today. What do you say this morning? How many of you think we ought to be more faithful in our diligent efforts to be at Sabbath school every week? Amen? Praise the Lord. It's valuable to us today, but is it valuable enough for us to make the change and be faithful. We have to choose this day who we're going to serve. Amen? We have to choose this day. Well, what about the prayer meeting? Somebody might ask. What exactly is the prayer meeting? Somebody might even ask that question. Well, prayer meeting is a midweek opportunity for us to come aside from the world and plug ourselves in. It's kind of like the prayer meeting is almost even like a mini Sabbath. It's a mini moment in time, a one-hour time slot in the middle of the week in which we can withdraw from the craziness of the world and plug into the wisdom of the infinite God. We can come together as a church family to pray, to study, to lift each other up, to have fellowship together and have that spiritual boost. Some of us are out working in the secular world and we work with people that are cursing and swearing all the time. It's an opportunity to come aside and plug into like-minded believers. Amen? Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? But no, it's a reality. God has given it to us as a gift. Now, what is the biblical counsel for prayer meeting? There's a number of passages all through Scripture today. We don't have time to go through all of these. But does the Bible endorse the biblical prayer meeting, yes or no? Does it do that? It does it. In fact, one of the most famous prayer meetings is when Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to come with him when he was praying in Gethsemane right before he was crucified. And what did Jesus find Peter, James, and John doing soon after? What were they doing, friends? They were asleep. They fell asleep, and Jesus woke them multiple times. And friends, today, many of us, when it comes to the weekly prayer meeting, are like Peter, James, and John. We're too tired to come to the prayer meeting, and therefore we skip out. But God would have us to come. What do you say this morning? How important is it that I personally view prayer meeting for my own benefit? How important is it? Let's notice this from Steps of Christ, page 98. She says, make every effort to keep open the communion between Jesus and your own soul. Seek every opportunity to go where prayer is wont to be made. Those who are really seeking for communion with God will be seen where? In the prayer meeting, she says, faithful to their duty and earnest and anxious to reap all the benefits that they can gain. They will improve every opportunity of placing themselves where they can receive the rays of light from heaven. So she says, if we want to be, to be seeking communion with God, where should we be, friends? We should seek to be where communion with God is taking place. And there's no reason why we should be missing the prayer meeting. Now, sometimes I know people are sick or they're, they're actually working second shift or they have some issues in their life. But friends, if we can be at prayer meeting 
We should be there, not just if it's going to be comfortable, not just if it's not raining, not just if it's not snowing, but we should be there regardless, amen? If they deli- one preacher once said, if the bars are open, the church is open, amen? We should be there, we should be with God, we should be communing with Him. Now what does the prayer meeting indicate about my life and the church's life? Notice what it says here. It says, the prayer meeting will always tell the true interest of the church members in spiritual and eternal things. The prayer meeting is as the pulse to the body. It denotes the true condition of the church. A lifeless, backslidden church has no relish for the prayer meetings. Here's how you can tell if you're a spiritual person or not. We know, A, that the fruits of the Spirit indicate to us if we're converted, yes or no. But if you are in communion with God, if you are desiring to be with Him, if you're desiring to put a test on your own spiritual life, how's your prayer meeting attendance been? How's your desire to attend the prayer meeting today? If we have no desire to go to prayer meeting, or if we're, not, if we're seeking to put anything else in front of it, then dear friends, the prophet says that we have become backslidden and we need repentance. What do you say this morning? We need to be coming back to God's ideal for our lives today to be at the prayer meeting, friends. It's so vitally important. But is there a cost of pay if I am thinking about the prayer meeting, if I'm wanting to come to receive the blessing of the prayer meeting? God's not trying to be arbitrary here, but he's saying, what can I do to bless you? What do I have to do to bless you? We're often very unwilling to meet all of the requirements for the blessing, all the conditions of the blessing. Notice this. It says the conflict in which you have to take an active part is found in your everyday life. Will you not in times of trial lay aside your desires, lay your desires by the side of the written word and in earnest prayer seek Jesus for counsel? Many declare it is that it is certainly no harm to go to a concert and neglect a prayer meeting or absent themselves from the meetings where God's servants are to declare a message from heaven. It is safe for you to be just where Christ has said he would be. Now, dear friends, let me just say this very clearly today. It's very important for us to understand that we should not be replacing the prayer meeting with anything. Some members say to me, oh, pastor, I just don't have time to go to prayer meeting. I'm so busy. I'm so, I'm, I got so many things to do. And yet I find that they're posting pictures on Facebook of them going out to eat with their friends. Or maybe they're at a baseball game. Or maybe they're at soccer practice. Or maybe they're at some other event that is not spiritually benefiting to them. And yet we say we don't have time for the prayer meeting. Dear friends, it must be a priority in the life. What do you say? It is very important, it is very crucial that we find ourselves there because God has called us to it. There's a lot of reasons people give for not going to prayer meeting. Sometimes they say, oh, well, you know, we talked about being too busy, but here's one that I hear very often. People will say, oh, pastor, when I don't get a blessing out of the prayer meeting because uh, unless you're the one doing it. You know, when the elder does it or when someone else does it, I'm just not getting a spiritual blessing. Well, here's the question I would ask you today. If you don't get the blessing that you should, maybe your heart hasn't been prepared, but if you're not getting a blessing and you missed a prayer meeting, what is it that you're putting in its place? What is it that you're replacing prayer meeting with that gives you a greater spiritual blessing than what God would give you at the prayer meeting. Because if you're getting a greater blessing doing something else, then maybe we need to come to your house and have prayer meeting there so that everyone can get a part of that blessing. But many times, people are not going to the prayer meeting. They say they're not getting a blessing, but they're actually engaging in some secular activity that's actually sucking the life, the spiritual life, out of them. So instead of going to the prayer meeting and getting no blessing, they're going to a secular event and they're actually losing a blessing. They're actually coming out in the negative side of spirituality. So friends, if we go to the prayer meeting and we get no blessing, it's still better than doing that secular activity and having that spiritual life drained from you. What do you say this morning? It's very important, friends. It's so important. The testimony of the Adventist pioneers is that they would work all day long. They would work all day long in the fields, 
back-breaking labor. And they would come home in the evening. They would hook up the wagons. They didn't just get in the car and go. Hook up the wagons, and they would drive 10, 20 miles to go to the prayer meeting. And they would have the prayer meeting. It was that precious to them to come together and to pray to God and seek His face to ask for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How many of you can say amen today? We need to have more diligence, friends. We can't even often get in the car for five minutes and go down the road in the snow. If I've taken the time to allow God to prepare my heart properly for prayer meeting, what spiritual blessing can I expect to experience? Notice what it says. It says, I resolve to give myself unreservedly to the Lord. I commenced there to seek the Lord with all my heart. My mind was in great distress, but at a prayer meeting, I found what? I found relief. Oh, how sweet was the peace of mind. Everything seemed changed. What a joy, friends. What a joy that we can come out of this chaotic life and we can find relief and the hour of prayer. Amen? Praise be to the Lord. Now, I want to share another quick testimony with you. I had another church member to write a testimony for me about prayer meeting. And notice this is what he says. He says, not long ago, God gave me a wake-up call. I almost died, but God miraculously preserved my life. Since then, he has given me so many blessings. I wasn't going to prayer meeting before, but then I started. And those blessings have exponentially multiplied since I started attending. The weeks that I don't go, I don't sleep well. It's important to me because we don't have much time left on planet Earth. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, and prayer meeting helps me with that. I need to pray more and talk less. Prayer meeting teaches me that. I don't have any better place to go than prayer meeting. I want to be where Jesus is, and I find him at the prayer meeting. How many of you can agree with that testimony? Jesus is at the prayer meeting. He's not at the ball game. He's not at the restaurant. He's not at all those places in that hour. He's in the prayer meeting, meeting with those who are calling upon his name. Amen? I've been at prayer meetings when very few members show up, and we have visitors. And the visitors ask me, where are all of your members at? Why are they not here for the prayer meeting? What answer is your pastor supposed to give to those visitors when they come and ask, where are all your people? Dear friends today, let not us put the pastor in that type of a challenge. Amen? How can I get, then, the greatest blessing out of both Sabbath school and prayer meeting? Listen, friends, if we will adjust our hearts and our minds to this attitude, God will bless us in the meeting. No matter how we think it may be dry, it may be boring, it may be whatever, but if we will adjust our hearts to this attitude, God would give us the blessing we're so looking for. What do you think? Watch this. Signs of the Times, 1884. It says, Before leaving home, go to God in secret prayer. Plead with Him for His blessing, and He who sees in secret will reward you openly. With your heart softened by the love of Jesus, go to the meeting, Sabbath school and prayer meeting, feeling that you are personally responsible for its success. If but few attend, you should feel under double responsibility. You are in the service of God and should do what you can with your talent, tact, and skill to make this worship interesting. So God is calling us today to still be there. Amen? Feel that we are personally responsible for the success of that meeting, and God will bless it. If every member of the church would feel that way, not just a minority, the prayer meetings would be as fruitful and as beautiful as the worship service today. Friends, I've got to ask you a question today. Where have our priorities been this year? Have they been in the place that they should be? Have your priorities been centered and focused on the kingdom of God? Or has it been focused, have they been focused upon your own desires? Have your desires, have, have your desires been Jesus' desires? Have you been willing today to say, Lord, you're in control of my life. I'm going to put you, your house, your church first. I'm going to put the kingdom of heaven first. I'm going to let my family see me at the prayer meeting. My children are going to see me at Sabbath school. They're going to come to Sabbath school. They're going to come to church on time. They're going to be a part of the church family. They're going to be a part of the church activity. Have we made that decision yet? Has that been the priority of our life? If so, if it is for you, praise God. 
but can you deepen that commitment? But if not today, will we be willing to say to Jesus today, I need you to correct this issue in my life. I need you to make changes. Lord, I need you to wake me up earlier on Sabbath morning. Lord, I need you to get me out of bed. Lord, I need you to help me do my Sabbath school lesson. Lord, I need, to help me, I need you to help me have my children see that it's the greatest priority of their life. Lord, I need you to make this change for me because I cannot do it myself. I'm out of the habit. My heart has been hardened. If we are willing today, how many of you think Jesus would correct it? The question is tonight, this morning, are you willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life today? That's the question I want to leave you with this morning. How many of you today want to say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to receive the blessing that you have intended for me in proper Sabbath keeping. I want to receive the blessing you have for me in attending the Sabbath school. I want to receive the blessing you have for me in attending the weekly prayer meeting. Lord, I want you to bless my life. I want my cup to runneth over. Are you willing to make the changes this morning, dear friends? What is your desire this morning? How many of you are willing to say, Lord Jesus, let you be the Lord of my life, and I want your blessings, and I'm willing to make the change today? Is that your desire this morning? Let me see your hands. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we praise you, for you have spoken to our hearts about very important issues, nothing new, nothing surprising, just straightforward things that we should have already been doing already, things that we committed to when we took our baptismal vows. Father, today we are backslidden, we are Laodicean, we are lukewarm, but you have promised to pour out your Spirit upon us and awaken us to what your desires are for our lives today. So please, Lord, raise us up to the standard. Be compassionate towards us, but Lord, lead us in the way everlasting in your truth. This is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.